Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to this week's Attacking Scrum podcast. Yet another amazing weekend of European rugby to look back on, and a slightly different lineup and format for this episode. It's a forced change, really, with Dan Killick not available for selection. We've caught up with some of our pals from around the regions to chat us through their seasons to date, uh, with particular focus on the European uh, elements of the seasons. Been really interesting to hear from some new voices and get their take on how their teams have got on. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, as always, big thank you to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. I know I say it a lot, but if you're into your coffee, you definitely need to get involved in this. The um, the 1984 blend has proved such a hit in my office that I've even got my boss making coffees for me rather than the other way around. So cheers for that, Scott. Uh, but yeah, make sure you head to socoffeetrades.co.uk to get yours. Really, there's only one place to start on tonight's show, and that is with the Scarlets. An incredible win against Bath was followed up this week with a stunning victory in front of a packed house at Parker Scarlets. This time round, it required as much hoil as it did flair, but the full house delight in this awesome game of rugby. Now, earlier on, I caught up with one of our long-term listeners, Chris Prescott, and uh, we didn't know at that point whether the Scarlets would be facing a home or an away tie, so uh, I'm sure it'll be even more special knowing that there's another massive game in Clenetley to come in the quarterfinals. So, hope you enjoy it, but here is my chat with Chris. Joining us now, we've got uh, we've got Chris Prescott, Scarlet's fan. How are you doing, Chris? Very good, Jed. How are you? Yes, I'm all right, thank you. I imagine there must be a few sore heads down your part of the world this morning. I think across West Wales, <laughs> and, <laughs> and possibly beyond even. <laughs> yeah, I'd have thought so. I, I really would have thought so. God, just how good an occasion was that? I mean, extraordinary, actually. In, in, I think in every in every sense, not not just in terms of what the boys did on the pitch and and getting us, you know, into the quarterfinals, but 
the way that stadium really came to life. You know, the biggest occasion perhaps since Munster in the quarterfinals at Stradi. Yeah. And maybe the first real one of that sort of magnitude at Parker Scarlet. It, it was extraordinary. And, you know, I think Wayne Pivak and, and the guys had said they wanted the crowd, you know, to stay vocal. And uh, in fairness, the boys delivered on the pitch, but I think the crowd did as well. Yeah, I was going to ask about the atmosphere because it was really noticeable watching on the telly from the Bath game how, how vocal the, the Scarlet supporters were at the wreck. Um, just how good was the atmosphere at Park Scarlet's last night? Uh, it, it was outstanding. And I think we've had that in away games for quite a long time. You know, you've got a smaller group of supporters, although a lot of away fans, to be fair. You know, we tend to take a lot of people when we mm. go away from home. But they tend to be together in the ground. And so it kind of drives the kind of chanting and singing. I think sometimes at home, if you haven't had full stadiums and the sort of pockets of people who are naturally more vocal or a bit more sporadic, perhaps you don't quite get that kind of collective, um, you know, sort of power of the crowd going. But, but last night it was absolutely there. Of course, numbers help, doesn't it? Just having 14,500 people um, is a, just, a, you know, just to see those stands for was, was outstanding. But I think the crowd really consciously committed to, to keeping the boys going and in the second half we needed it because they're a monstrously powerful team yeah they I mean they really are and we'll come on to, to chat about the the specifics of the rugby in a sec but I just wanted to, to build on that point you've said there because mm. it was, it's one thing that stood out for me it was just so nice to be talking about um, a full regional stadium um, I mean obviously the rugby's the rugby's fantastic but I think you, you've kind of got to say hats off to the to the Scarlet's marketing team as well for um, you know, for capitalising on that and making sure that it was a, you know, a, well, a virtual sellout anyway. Yeah, I mean, with, with, without doubt, I, I think it really shows what a lot of us have been saying for a long time, which is that, you know, success breeds, it breeds success and it breeds crowds. And, and absolutely, you know, the, the, the ticket office were working all the hours that, uh, that were available to them to make sure that, you know, everybody who could go and wanted tickets could, could get in there. And it went smoothly as far as I could tell. I mean, it was it was really, really busy in, in the lounges, the bars, you know, the, the, the actual stadium itself. With, with You know, there weren't too many empty seats. Um, and I think the ones that were empty were people probably still in bars. Yeah. So it, it was it was a really great effort on, on, on their part. But it, but it does show that, you know, if you can start to win and you can start to, to give people an expectation that you're going to win, the crowds will come. There is still an interest in, in first-class sort of regional rugby in Wales. We just have to have some success to keep people keep people engaged and to build on it and get the next generations involved too. Yeah, absolutely. And there is certainly some incredible rugby in there uh, throughout the well, throughout this kind of European campaign, but particularly last night. What was the what were the kind of highlights for you? Well, it was. I mean, you know, cliche time, but it was a game of two halves. And the first half. Obviously, it was a fantastic start to get that score. It was a bit disappointing to so quickly concede, but I, I kind of felt that if the game was going to go that way, that would sort of suit us. You know, if it was quite open and quite quick, that that is what our strength is. Um, in some respects, although it was really great to see, you know, more evidence that we've got this attacking game and that we can worry, you know, even the best defences when we play it, I think in some respects, the second half is the one that sticks in the memory more because we were so up against it. You know, Wayne Barnes is a really terrific referee. I, I do think we were probably a little unfortunate with some of his calls at the breakdown and it, and it really didn't let us get any territory. And of course, so much of our good attacking play comes from quick turnover ball. It's when a team's defence is a bit unstructured. We saw that against Bath when you got good kick receipts or yeah. a quick turnover ball from a mistake. And we never really were able to do that in the second half. And they are, they are, as I said before, they are massive. I mean, they are as powerful a side 
as you're probably ever going to come across. And I just thought the bravery of our forwards, you know, David Bulbring, I think, um, has been absolutely outstanding in the last few weeks. And, and it's really interesting to see that he's always had, you know, a capability to, to sort of physically engage in a game. But the, the range of skills he's now starting to show, you know, little one-handed offloads yesterday, cracking 20-yard pass for that first try against Bath the week before, Really good evidence, I think, of the coaches, you know, adding value to players and, 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 you know, taking them to a level that they weren't at before. And Ty Byrne, I know you guys, you know, have, have talked about him a number of times on the pod. And, I mean, you're not wrong. He, I mean, he'd emptied the tank at the end. You could see it. But um, Hadley Parks was, was great. And you certainly wouldn't argue him having run out of the match in, in making those breaks and, and dealing with the threat of, of their centres and, you know, J.P. Peterson, but um, Tyburn for me is just a phenomenon, quite frankly. Yeah, well, I mean, we, you're right. We've mentioned that a number of times and it does feel like he's going to be a massive loss, but, which, you know, undoubtedly he would be to any side. But you're right there with Bullbring kind of really, really stepping up. It gives you that confidence in the coaches that, you know, they're either going to unearth another burn from somewhere or they're going to move the current crop and, and be able to fill that void. Yeah, I mean, our, our sort of record in, in recent years of bringing in overseas signings, you know, has been really very, very good. Um, and we've been a bit up and down with that in the past. And I, I think lots of lots of teams have, you know, when you've when you've got a huge budget, you can just bring in a proven international. Yeah. And, and, you know, the percentage risk of that is pretty low. OK, you've got to pay for it. We, we can't do that. So it's quite easy to make a mistake. And, and the last number that we brought in in Bullbring and Burn. Um, you know, Asquith, um, you know, was, was terrific yesterday. Again, actually, his quick footwork for Dan Jones's try was, was outstanding. He's the guy who gets underneath, I can't remember which one of their, was it Manoa, one of their massive guys yes, when, when they, they almost scored. And he, he, he's the guy who gets underneath him. So he's showing he'll put his body on the line. You know, he's not a wing, I don't think. He's, he's probably better suited in, in midfield. But, you know, we, we've really done extremely well, and it's huge credit to, to, to Pivac and Co. That, that they've been able to unearth these these gems. And you have to have it because so many of our players get called up now to, to Wales, um, which is great. But you've got to have this this influx of quality to, to support the squad throughout the year. And actually, they're they're, they're better than that. They're delivering at the, the the top table, really. Yeah, I mean, that's great. I'd, I'd certainly agree with that. He's just one of those one of those players that at the start of the season, you you know, if you were to look at his CV, you'd go, well. You know, there's nothing, uh, nothing to get excited by here. But I think it's just his natural intelligence fits the um, fits the Scarlet's way of playing so well that he's quite comfortable playing in a number of positions. And whatever situation it is, he just seems to play what's in front of him. I, I definitely agree. I mean, it's that sevens background, isn't it? Mm. And we've got that with quite a few players in the side. He, he reads the game well, I think. He's got a good skill set, you know, and so you can work with that. And again, the coaches give the guys the freedom to express themselves and. You know, we saw that yesterday with, with that first try with, you know, Patchell's, you know, 480 metre pass off his left hand, which was, which was fantastic. And you saw the trade off of it as well, um, which, which was the intercept. But, you know, that, that's the style of rugby that we play. And sometimes if you're taking high risk, it's not always going to work out. But Asquith is definitely somebody who naturally fits that mould of kind of expansive, uh, you know, higher risk rugby. And, and as I say, people like Bulbring have been upskilled, I think, and are now really contributing not just to the hard graft, you know, but also to the to the, the, the more sort of creative parts of the game. And Samson Lee is another example of that. I mean, yeah. Rob, Rob Evans is just a really skillful guy, isn't he? And, and you know, Rob, Rob probably fancies he played 10 anyway. But, um, but Samson Certainly inside centre. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but Samson Lee has really started, you know, he's quite often standing at first receiver himself now. And, and whilst he often will, you know, truck it up and, and, and use his physicality, he's, he's quite a happy delivering that first pass if he needs to. And that, that, you know, that's a really, again, I think really good evidence of the coaching of the team and the, the philosophy and the players really buying into it. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Another thing in the last two games that's, that's really stood out, and that for me has been a combination of Patchell and Jones as kind of dual playmakers. Do you think that that's the, that's the first choice 10-15 combo now, if everyone's fit and available? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I mean, I don't, I, I don't believe that it was sort of strategically the plan that they would kind of evolve the team to have those two guys in those positions. And I don't know what Reese's feelings would be about playing at fullback. Um, because, you know, obviously he came to us partly because he wanted to play as a 10. And, yeah. you know, he's won the Pro 12 in, in doing that. So I guess he feel, feels he has proven something in, in that regard already. But it, there is a real benefit to having a playmaker of his quality at 15. He is also quick, of course. You know, he's long striding. He's a bigger man than people realise. Yeah. So it, there is real nice balance there. And Dan Jones is stepping up. I mean, you know, there's one or two little errors in his game and, and there's, there's probably an element of vulnerability about his defence because he's not the biggest guy. But you have to say, he's had, you will not have too many sterner tests than, than Bath away on a Friday night uh, and, and, you know, a star-studded Toulon side um, that we saw last night. And, and he's come through them with flying colours and he's kept his composure, he's kicked his goals... He has a skill set. He doesn't mind standing flat. He probably doesn't quite stand as flat as Patchell, and he's probably not as instinctive a scanner as Patchell, who is pretty outstanding, I think, generally at spotting those opportunities. Yeah. But you have to say the balance of the two of them in the side, and it, it does give us some some extra options then in terms of what we do in the back three. You know, we've got somebody else that we can slot in there and perhaps Halfpenny, you know, moves towards the wing. Although, again, whether Johnny McNichol or Steph Evans get dropped for that, I'm, I'm not sure. Halfpenny's a tricky one because, you know, he's so positionally good. He obviously gives you that certainty with the goal kicking. And so you, you're really loath to lose that. But the truth is that, as I said earlier, the kick receipt is so important to our counter-attack. Mm. And like, like Liam Williams before him, you know, Patchell does tend to beat the first man. And, and Lee isn't generally doing that. He's very, very solid and he doesn't tend to get turned over, but he doesn't tend to naturally spark the counterattacks in the same way. So, you know, there's a, there's a definite case for it. Uh, what I don't know is whether or not you would sort of risk upsetting Patchell. Clearly at the moment there's injuries and he needs to step in, but yeah. whether or not he'd be unhappy with that as a long-term plan, I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I suppose as we go into Six Nations and we see how, uh, you know, kind of how Wales are, are going to manage him as well because he's going to be impossible to ignore on form. I think the injuries in the back three makes it interesting. Plus, you've got this, we don't know quite the severity of, of Dan Bigger's knock yesterday as well. It kind of means that there's going to be a number of different options for for Patchell at potentially at international level. Yeah, I mean, there's again, there's the there's the sort of philosophical question about how do Wales want to play the game? And, and you would say that based on what they've done previously, you know, Gatland and co have tended to go for the more defensive option. Yeah. Um, you know, if they are actually going to commit to playing a more expansive game, then, then there's certainly a, an argument for, for Anscombe, Liam Williams or Patchell to come in at, at, at fullback. You know, there's a number of ways that you could go about doing that. You know, my concern is that you can't just pick players in a position and then expect them to play in the style that, you know, we see sometimes from, from you know, perhaps Cardiff and the Scots, particularly of mm. late, but, but the Ospreys when they get on the front foot, like against Northampton too, 
you know, you, you, you have to give the players the license to play that way. You have to give them the license to make mistakes um, and you have to encourage them to, to have that attacking intent. So, uh, you know, it's two, it's a two-layered question, really, which players you put in there and do you give them the permissions to play that way. If you're not going to give them that permission, you're better off sticking with Halfpenny for the defensive control that he brings. Yeah, it's a really good point. Let's um, bring it back to the back to the Scarlets now. I know, obviously, we we don't, as we record this, yet know who um, who you're going to face in the next round. But based on what you've you know what you've seen this season to to date, just how far do you think this team can go? Well, I think we've shown that on our day we can probably beat anybody. Um, you, know, you always say that a little bit cautiously because I, I do think that an absolutely full strength Saracen side, um, even though they may or may not qualify as it stands. I think they might actually end up sneaking in because Wasps um, beating Ulster. But a, a really full-strength Saracen side, we've got that combination of power and pace. Would we be able to stand up to those guys? I, I don't know. I, I guess on our day, potentially. I, 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 you know, I think that we are capable of beating everybody in the tournament, and I probably haven't genuinely felt that for a really long time. Um, you know, as a Scarlets fan, it's been a while since we've had, we've had our, our, the odd day in the sun, but we haven't been a team that you felt really could compete at the top level with, with pretty much anybody. Obviously, home advantage in the quarterfinals is, is, is really important. Um, but in some respects, I would perhaps rather play away from home against a team that is a little bit less about power and a bit more about mobility, which I think would suit our game than perhaps playing at home against an absolutely massive pack. I mean, Toulon yesterday are probably the worst sort of team for us to play, quite frankly, because all their strengths are so dominantly about power. And, you know, although we're we're certainly no mugs in that regard, it's not our strength. No, it's not. But I I do think, you know, again, we've mentioned this a a number of times, the the evolution of, uh, of the Scarlets over the last 18 months or so really, for me, has hinged on just how much more com- competitive and physical that the, the side is up front. And whether that be turnovers or just just dealing with, um, you know, dealing with uh, brute strength, it's an area that I think that the, the, the kind of the whole evolution has been built upon. Without doubt, uh, you know, there is a sort of, strategy that the team employs isn't there which is to play with that width and to use the power that we have got slightly away from closer quarters generally and that that gives you that front foot without necessarily having to have you know the absolute kind of power but yesterday i think did was another example really of showing that that we we can actually compete when the game does slow down and they were, you know, they were brutal. Steel Barnes had a nice line during the game where he said it was the skirmishes within the battles within the sporting war. And I thought that, but I thought that was exactly the sort of thing that we generally probably lost, quite frankly. You know, those, those, those tight physical confrontations. And you can see the evolution of that part of our game was definitely in evidence yesterday. You wouldn't want to do it week in, week out because it isn't what suits us. But to be able to come through that arm wrestle in the second half, is one of the things you would look to as evidence to say, actually, are this team capable of going all the way? And, and yeah, we play nice football, which is great, but actually standing up to that physicality really holds us in good stead. And you saw it against Bath as well, albeit probably not physically tested to the same degree, but, you know, set piece, the scrum dominance of that international front row doesn't half help in terms of getting a platform in the game. Yeah, it really does. And I suppose if you, as you know, as you look into the, the latter stages of, of both Europe and domestic tournaments, the even things like the the weather should play into to the hands now as well. You know those those kind of really difficult wet and windy nights um, where it's a bit more restrictive on that uh, on that back line. 
you know, you'd hope there'd be uh, there'd be less of those as you go into the latter stages. And, and again, that's the, the kind of thing that can I, that I think would would actually terrify certain sides when you when you're playing scarlets on a uh, you know on a dry day. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I'm really glad that we're not playing uh, too long today because yeah. looking at the window, it is, it is not particularly nice in West Wales. But it has to be said as well, if you build a strategy that means you can only win games when it's dry and you're based in West Wales, you possibly have a slight <laughs> flaw in your strategy. Um, but you're right. You know, we've managed to get through those, those sort of more difficult, perhaps, periods of the year weather-wise. And on dry, hard pitches, you know, we will fancy ourselves. And that's when the mobility of Shingler and Ty Byrne and James Davis, you know, hopefully will really pay off for us. And, yeah, I think we will scare teams. I think you're right. And then just finally to, to finish, you know, again, we've, we've mentioned before that I guess the, the quality in, and I suppose the depth of the squad, actually, that, that has kind of really developed in the last, uh, the last season and a half or so. Do you still feel there's enough depth within that squad to deal with Europe, Pro 14, injuries, plus international call-ups as well? I think that's difficult. I mean, I think we did really well during the autumn international window, and I was really quite nervous about the two South Africa games because we were so shorn of, of both first choice and even sort of second choice players. And, and we showed that we could deal with that. You know, the, the losing bonus point against the Cheetahs was a good effort because they'd shown that they were, you know, a useful side at home by that point. And, and we managed to get the results against um, the Kings as well. So, yeah, I, I think it can. I, you know, we don't have the squad depth for someone like Leinster. That, that's, that's just reality. Um, and you do need to some degree injuries to be kind to. You know, you would be nervous about... During the autumn internationals, if, if you know, Patchell's with the, or during the Six Nations, if Patchell's with Wales and say Dan Jones gets an injury, we don't have a huge amount of depth then in terms of the, the, the resources that we can call on at 10. So we will need injuries to be kind to us, but there is quality behind that, that starting 15. And you've, you've seen that in the players that have come through. You know, you have to bear in mind that we've, we've had our first choice back three unavailable for the Bath game and to some degree unavailable yesterday with Halfpenny only on the bench. Yeah. No, no John Davis, no Jake Ball. So there is squad depth there. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. And, um, you know, kind of long may it continue, really, because I think the more uh, the more of these kind of talents you can bring through and unlock. And for, for me, we've said it before, but it's those players like like Boyd and McLeod who've really stepped up and um, and done a job when people are away that that makes you less exposed to the to the international call-ups, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. There's, there's good quality coming through there. And again, they're, they're learning under, you know, and the influence of someone like John Barkley, as well as the coaching staff, yeah. who obviously deserve huge credit, but someone like John Barkley, to have, to have him and those guys learning from someone like that is, 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 is great. And I'm sure that's part of why that they have started to, to come through. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, it's been brilliant chatting to you and best of luck for the rest of the season. I'm sure we'll catch up with you uh, between now and then as well. Thanks, Jed. Look forward to it. Nice one. Thanks a lot. All the best. It was mixed fortunes for West Walian rugby fans this weekend, as in truth it has been for a lot of the season. While the Scarlets progressed to the quarter-finals, it was the end of the line for the Ospreys. A spirited performance away to Clement Auvergne wasn't enough as the French side continued their domination over Welsh teams at the Stade Marcel Michelin, the home team running out 24 points to 7 winners. 
to assess the game and the Ospreys' season so far, I caught up with good friend of the podcast, Yestin George, to get his take after the side finished their European campaign. Get a break from doing his tax returns to talk to us about the Ospreys. Uh, which one are you finding more painful at the moment, Yestin? It's a, it really is a close run thing, I have to say. <laughs> uh, it's never... Yeah, uh, there, there is actually, I would say, and this, this is just piles on the agony, that I actually prefer doing my uh, finances because I now recognise the, the huge hole I'm in um, for, the, for the rest of 2018. And there's a strangely comforting feeling about knowing that you're going to be seven and a half thousand pounds in personal debt by the end of 2018 but whereas i don't actually know what the hell's going to happen with the ospreys and that's actually sort of that's irritating to me Is that it? yeah a kind yeah. of a, a, an uncertainty that that's quite unsettling um, yeah i suppose the best, the best place to start if we're reviewing the campaign, is is yesterday. Um, so obviously went into that game with a chance of uh, with a chance of getting out of the group. Always going to be difficult at Stade Marcel Michelin. What did you make of the game as a whole, and in particular the Ospreys' performance? I think they it was almost predictable. Um, it, it, they had, I think they had the opportunity to. Um, I don't think, don't think uh, Kemonov and were, were were at the races really, and uh, there were moments, particularly in the first half, where you could see the Ospreys kind of almost clicking and going, "All right, yeah, this is on." You know, they weren't being, um, they certainly weren't being bullied up front, and um, and there was a kind of occasional spark behind, but I think it, there was a predictability to the outcome, um, even though. Uh, come on over and weren't really at the top of their game. It's a shame. It just felt like a, it felt a little bit like a, a bridge too far. It did. I mean, the European campaign as a whole, it has felt like there have been those moments of promise which have been, I suppose, certainly prior to Christmas, few and far between in the league campaign. Is that the way you've seen it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the... The fact that there have been some real great moral victories for the for the for the team and the squad um, in in the defeat at you know Saracens away mm-hmm. and he, and the, the the game against um, Saracens at home as well in a totally different way was you know um, there was a recognition of that there are some qualities and strength of character in that squad, um, but it 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 also you know, yesterday highlighted the fact that individual, uh, you know, individual performances really were better than the collective strength. And obviously there was some some strong work from the front five mm-hmm. and Alan Wynn is just incredible. And Cracknell, I think, played really, really well and uh, has cemented his reputation as kind of the quiet man of that, you know, a proper six kind of yeah. player. Um, and obviously Webb and Bigger both, you know, have illustrated just how much they're going to be missed next year. Watkin looked sharp yesterday, um, but, you know, nobody ever knows how come they didn't didn't score that try. Yeah, uh, that was strange. But I, I have... I've... The more I watch Watkin, the more I'm impressed because I, I do think he doesn't have, you know, uh, 
Dill Strait backline isn't one, you know, it is the polar opposite of, of the Scarlets, where you feel like if you're an outside back, you're going to get the opportunities. Um, yeah. Whereas I think the Ospreys, you, you don't necessarily get that. I think particularly with Dimitri Arhit playing fly half a lot of the game <laughs> yesterday, um, you felt like Watkin was kind of feeding off scraps a lot of the time. But I, I do feel like he does have that, he's got that wonderful step. And I, I think he's just got the, the knack of beating men, which I, I think is something that, they really got to look to look to build on it for the rest of this season. Yeah, you'd hope that he's the you know he's demonstrated in a couple of games where you know he's not a flat track bully, is he? No. It looks a little it looks a little bit like he he's going to perform well when the going's tough as well, which would which would be obviously a great thing for for, for uh, Wales and a good thing for the Ospreys as well. Um, yeah, and you just can't tell, can you? You can't tell. None of them are clicking. You know, Dan Evans looks, purrs through every game and looks looks elegant um, and effective in his own way. But, you know, uh, everybody else just seems to be, the passes are going just that six inches behind them. And just there's no real occasional, there's occasional glimpses of great handling from Bigger and, and obviously they you know Bigger and Webber class acts but yeah there's not you can't tell what the potential is it's really difficult and you, you'd you hope that maybe I, I just you know it doesn't it isn't about the playing uh, it isn't about the, the people playing it's about the it's about the coaching isn't it and it's about the structure and it's about that that electricity that Scarlets create when they turn the ball over on their own on their own line, we, we, you know, Ospreys try that occasionally and just don't look at anything like as confident. Well, it's an interesting one because obviously Tandy's taken a lot of stick uh, from from fans this year in relation to his coaching. At the same time, I looked at that game yesterday and went, "Well, can you blame him for just the, the number of individual errors um, that mm. are out there?" Uh, yeah, it, that's a difficult one for me. I think. Yeah, I think, but you just—I'm not being. I, I, it still feels as if they they don't know what what the game plan is, uh, and I don't mean that that they're being appallingly coached. They just think that you know that unfortunately their noisy neighbours happen to be. Uh, so you know, every ball is laid, every ruck. Yeah. <laughs> Gareth Davis gets everything on a silver silver plate. You know the the little details that make so much difference. The passing in front of people, the making those ridiculous offloads that just somehow come off. You know the that's you can't replicate that. I don't think we've seen a regional. Well, we certainly haven't seen a regional team ever play like that in Wales. So it's it you're just being. It's hard to. It, it's unfair to compare i think um and and but the fact is that ospreys are, are not going to be a force in in the broader scheme of things and i um for a while yet and i, I just hope that it they're not satisfied with another two or three seasons of you know uh, competing sort of fairly well on the pro 14 and then having a full house twice a season for local derbies you know I, I just don't think that's my always been my issue is that it depends what your aspirations are and if you're you know I think Ospreys for me always show a limited aspiration both on the pitch and in the in the broader scheme of things well I think that's it and while it is on 
fair to compare them with the Scarlets. I think that every side in Wales should be looking at them in terms of the things that they're doing right and not just the yeah. not just the really kind of brave kind of rugby they're playing, but the recruitment and the and the coaching are two things that, that I think they've just got spot on. And that's where I think it highlights the Osprey's shortcomings in particular is like, you know, if if they if they had a tight game plan and it was it was just smashing up rugby but they were getting results, I think it's kind of more forgivable. It's just the fact that it looks so so different when you compare what's uh, what's going on with the noisy neighbours that yeah. it kind of it feels that much more um, what's the word that much more kind of uh, less easy on the eye and that much more noticeable. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I beyond the pragmatic, I just think we do watch rugby to be excited by things, and yeah. so therefore you should, you know, and if you're being optimistic, you should think that. Um, you know, dragons will 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 kick on next season, and blues. It seems unfeasible that they won't that they won't improve because they'll have guess what they'll have a coach who's maybe building for the future, yeah. and you'd look you'd look towards. You could see you can see routes to improvement in 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 with every region and. It would be optimistic to say that there are obvious routes to, you know, an optimistic future for Ospreys, I think. I just think, you know, there's no indication of that other than, you know, Scott Williams as a recruit, Ali Davis. But then, you know, I, I, I you can't really see, um, I can't see anything particularly progressive about the way that they're looking at things. That's that's my personal view, but they then again, you know, that Ospreys game, that Ospreys Saracens game away was phenomenal. You know, they were fen- they were phenomenal that day. They were incredible. So they obviously can do it, but um, it was really was it was a it's a it's a rare thing this season, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and you're right that that performance in particular just seemed to stand out so much more than. Um, than some of the others and it really is just a question of how you replicate that on a on a regular basis um is that something that ultimately falls falls down to the coaching i don't know it seems it seems unfeasible that they can be coached you know they can be brilliant brilliantly coached on one weekend and then yeah. not for the rest of the season they're obviously they're, they're, these people are professionals they, they're they're really good at their jobs they must be um, it's to do with motivation, to do with purpose, to do with heart and minds. I think to a certain extent, and to do with maybe the circumstances, the, the uh, shot to nothing kind of nature of that game, particularly as they'd lost players, you know, in the warm-up and all that kind of stuff. Um, one heartening thing I think was that you know they can they can they can lose Bradley Davis, who you know is obviously has now. Yeah recovered his form very well and um but they can lose them and still be fairly you know fairly competitive up front um fairly competitive in the front five yeah that's, a, being, that's a positive in and made some made some really good contributions throughout that game yeah. line out and he's carrying and hitting rucks yeah absolutely and um and I, you have to you have to thank McCusker for his service as well yeah. because it's not easy to come in and 
and have to make a contrib- as much of a contribution. I doubt if he thought he was going to make that much of a contribution, particularly you know in in the last two months. And he has. He's uh, he's chippy as well, and he he loves it. Yeah. Loves again, a bit. again, with this, been a bit of a recurring theme of late. These players that you'd you'd hate to play against. And again, I think I'd put McCusker into that into yeah. that bracket. He's just a, seems like a really abrasive character and just all all power and I, you know I'd, I'd absolutely hate to play against him yeah absolutely all right then but, just to finish yes Tim with yeah. um obviously the the European campaign over there and you mentioned the kind of the the shot to nothing nature of, of that best before you know one of the best performances of the season so far do you think then that the Ospreys should be kind of looking at the rest of this season as a bit of a shot to nothing and an opportunity to try some different things, try out different combinations, try new players and try a different way of playing rugby? I would definitely say yes to try a different way of playing rugby. I just don't think there's anything to be gained. It's it's a little bit like the national debate, you know, with um, that, that was, you know, two or three years of, of moaning about needing to move up, move on in terms of the way that Wales were playing I think so I think that it's I think the 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 personnel can't be can't be changed that much in in my eyes but I think it's vital that they they find a new way of playing and it's not just you know replicating the scarlets but have, having to play faster Quicker tempo um, uh, and intelligent and conventional. Why not? You know, I think that what's what's to be gained by what we what we have, we hold. When you don't have anything and you don't hold anything, and you don't really, you're just going to go backwards. I think as a region, if you carry on that approach. Yeah, well, we'll uh, we'll find out soon enough. Obviously, we've got the the Six Nations in between. Um... To, to look forward to or to, to dread. Quick word for what you'd expect from Wales during the during the championship. Well, it's the first squad I can remember that nobody could sit, stand and go, oh, it's a shame they didn't pick X, Y or yeah. Z. <laughs> it's the perfect squad. No moaning. Um, uh, but obviously the, the 22 will be a different... Um, you know, that, you wouldn't want to see... James Davis not playing a part in it, etc., etc., etc. So, um, potentially good, great to see, great to see uh, forwards, forwards, a bench full of forwards that are exciting. Mm. Um, and let's see how the raging, you know, let's see if how what bigger's injury is like, and and that thing that will have a, a major major say in how it starts anyway, without a doubt. It'll be, um, it'll be. With or without bigger, will be. I think it'll be quite testing without him to start the campaign. It will indeed, yeah. But yeah, I suppose it's uh, just a question of waiting and see, and and yeah, hoping that uh, hoping that he's going to be available. Because I still think, you know, regardless of what style of rugby you're trying to play, a player of that class, you you need uh, you need in the squad certainly. Yeah, he can do. He can he can play in he can play that way. There's not a problem. It's just not. You know, he people will play around him, and that's yeah. that. But he, he's perfectly capable of being a ten in a team that's looking to play a wider, more more ambitious game, without a doubt. 
Um, and and you know you just think that if the back th- if they get the back three right then it's exciting it'll be very exciting we'll see you know we will indeed and yeah we uh, wait with that not too long to wait now as well yesterday I'm sure we'll catch up with you uh, during the Six Nations as well but thanks for joining us today marvelous thanks Jed cheers Justin. Over in the Challenge Cup and in the capital, Cardiff Blues were already assured their place in the quarterfinals, thanks to last week's victory at home to Toulouse. They followed that up with a win away to Lyon this weekend, setting up a trip to Scotland to face Edinburgh in the next round. It's been something of a mixed season for the Blues, but their European form has definitely given them something to cheer about during Danny Wilson's last season in charge. I spoke to Craig Muncy, editor of adirag.co.uk and Cardiff Blues fan, to see how he assessed their season so far. Right, joining us now then, we have uh, Craig Muncy uh, from our good pals down at adirag.co.uk, the, uh, the, man behind, uh, the man behind that website joins us now. How are you doing, Craig? Very well, Jed. How's, how's yourself? Yes, not too bad, thank you. Aside from, uh, aside from getting drenched out on the bike earlier on, I've just about managed to dry off and, and warm up now. It's one of those one of those miserable January days, but never mind. Yeah, sure it is. Sure it is. And uh, so we obviously wanted to catch up with you um, uh, about the Cardiff Blues. Been a bit of a funny old season, really. Um, in particular, in relation to, to Europe, obviously a... Oh, mate, I've completely fucked this. I'm going to start again. Sorry. Um <laughs> Cool. Sorry, just give me two seconds. I'll Sorry? start again. Sorry? I won't waffle as much. Though. Um, so joining us now, we have Craig Muncy from adrag.co.uk, the man behind that website. How are you doing, Craig? I'm very well, thanks, Jim. How are you? Yes, not too bad, thanks. A uh, bit wet and cold from being out on the bike earlier on, but yeah, just glad to be uh, glad to be tucked up inside now. We've uh, obviously wanted to catch up with you about the Cardiff Blues, and been a bit of a, a bit of a strange season to date. But the European campaign must have uh, must have certainly kind of brightened up the season to date. Yeah, thanks for asking me on, just to start. Um, yeah, exactly. European competition has gone very, very well. You know, obviously, the highlights have been the home and away victories against Toulouse and Lyon. Um, you know, two sides were one of the tops, top eight, I think, in, yeah. the, the, in the top 14 in France. So, you know, competitive sides. You know, in fact, in the last game only yesterday... 12 nil down after, was it, 30-odd minutes mm. you know, to come back and get that win in a game where they were already in the quarterfinals. You know, that's, a, you know, that's, a, that's a very, very good sign. Um, it's just been a bit of a pity that hasn't really carried on into the, into the Pro 14. But, um, yeah, from a European perspective, yeah, it's gone very, very well. Do you think it's, uh, it's potentially a springboard now? We always have this debate about whether, you know, the two, kind of, the two competitions, you, you kind of almost have separate form going into them. But... Surely, you know, with a squad of players playing well and getting those big results, it must be a big boost for confidence going into, you know, going into the Pro 14. Yeah, absolutely. It should be. Um, you know, the, the players have come together and, you know, there's been some great combinations. You know, they're playing with a good tempo. Um, personally, I think the problem has been the front five, um, mm. especially at the start of the season. And, you know, they, they seem to have gone back. <laughs> To uh, the old guys, if you like, with uh, Gethin coming back in and Matthew Reese on a strong season, and Felice 
you know, still still going on for Cardiff Blues. Yeah. Um, and, and again, yesterday, you know, Seb Davis, who has certainly been a shining light, um, was missing. You know, he's still thought he's got a viral infection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the boys fronted up, you know, really good. You know, in, in the second row, we had James Down playing um, yesterday, who's been in and out of the side. But, you know, he's, he's always been a good line-out operator. But yeah. by all accounts, really putting a good shift. So, yeah, very, very, very pleased. And you hope, you know, that will kick-start, you know, better performances in the Pro 14. And I suppose sticking with Europe, looks as though it's uh, so it's going to be Edinburgh at home. Um, and again, you, you've got to look at that and think there's a there's a good chance of uh, of getting out of that getting out of that tie. Yeah, going going up to Edinburgh, you know, obviously. Oh, it's away, it's away, is it? It's, it's away, yeah. Oh, right, um, that's okay, and I, I understand you know, it's, it's going to be over the Easter weekend as well, so uh, there'll be a, a lot of Cardiff Blues fans trying to. Get out, get out of uh, doing their family commitments on that weekend. Um, I've already started uh, putting certain words in with the missus already. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, going up to Edinburgh, it's, it's a definitely a winnable game. You know, we, we played um, at the, at the, the Alice Park early in the season. Yeah. Uh, and to be honest, you know, they were a better side on that occasion. You know, their fullback in particular, Blair Kinghorn, absolutely tore, tore us to pieces, to be honest. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a winnable game. It's not one of those games you look at with a, with a lot of fear factor. You know, it, it could go either way, and you just hope they can carry on their European form into that one. Yeah, I mean, how much, how much do you think that the, that, that performance earlier on in the season will, will play a factor? Or, again, do you think it's just completely separate? Uh, you know, with months down the line now, Blue seems to have found a rhythm, rhythm particularly, in, um, particularly in Europe. Do you think that kind of goes out the window when it comes back to this tie? I think it does a little bit, but I, I, you know, I, I was there that night and um, you know, it, it was a disappointing performance. Um, I'm sure a few of the players will, will want to put that right. So, uh, yeah, I think it'll be in their minds. But, yeah, as you say, I think so many months down the road, it's a different competition. So I don't think I'll have a huge bearing on it. And what about some of the players who've, who've kind of impressed you within this campaign? Who do you think has really kind of stood out and, and put their hand forward as being a really important player for the, for the Blues for the rest of the season? Um, right, you know, I think Jared Evans, uh, the young outside half, is you know he does give them something different attack. You know he does take the ball up to the line. He's got a lovely passing game. You know, he, he still needs to work on his kicking from hand, but you know he's a young kid. I think that will come. He's impressed. You know, I, I've, I've, I'm a fan of Gary Smith in the centre. I think he gives them a bit of solidity in there. Um, you know, he, he, he does the, the nuts and bolts things very, very well. Um, you know, Matthew Reese, I think, has been outstanding since since just before Christmas. Yeah. I know, I, I, you know, he's, he's been keeping Christian Dacey out the side. He's been outstanding, and and Ollie Robinson coming in, you know, where they had a real problem in the open side position with injuries. You know, we've got Ellis Jenkins back fit now as well, which is a, a big boost. But Ollie Robinson, again, you know, he, he makes his tackles. He's he's always on the shoulder. You know, he, he's been he, he's been a real real excellent recruitment for Cardiff Blues. Yeah, he has. I mean, the the back row now almost it feels like it's back to a, a really a really strong position. Even though there's no Warburton in there, you can kind of you could comfortably pick three sevens and uh, and it and it looked like a you know well balanced back uh, back row. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's competition for places again. You know, Nick Williams playing eights playing well as well. Um, you know, Josh Turnbull's been having, been having a stint um, in the second row, mm-hmm. but. You know, he's, he's a, he, he'll never let you down the back either. So there's competition with places, which obviously, you know, can only aid the team uh, in, in the future months. 
I suppose, yeah, there's the future months to think of. Um, and obviously it's good to have that that European Cup run in there um, and, and hopefully that will continue. I suppose looking forward to next season, though, still still seems uh, like there's no announcement on, on the head coach. Is that something that's starting to worry you as a Blues fan? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's been dragging on a bit too long now. Um, you know, you've got all these clubs making um, recruitments and Cardiff Blues, you know, they're, they're looking to bring a couple of players in, I believe, but, you know, with no coach in place, you know, it's, it's a situation where if you bring players in, the coaches don't particularly like those players. Well, it's, it's not an ideal situation. So the sooner they resolve that, the better, really. I also think as well, you know, as a player, you're going to want to know who you, what coach you're working with. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, from what I understand, Danny Wilson and Matt Shedd has been, you know, two coaches that the Cardiff Blues in, in the majority have really enjoyed working with. So for them to be going, it's a brand new star. So, yeah, absolutely. The players will want to know, you know who's coming in and, and where their future's like, really. Is there any part of you that, you know, that kind of obviously we all know that Danny Wilson, that Danny Wilson will be with, with Wasps next season. But, you know, is there a part of you that would like to see him stay? I think especially as you've got that, that bit of momentum in Europe. Do you look at it and think, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could get another couple of seasons out of him? Yeah, you know, Danny Wilson you know, came to Cardiff Blues with a great reputation. And, yeah, there has been some disappointing losses. But, you know, there's, there's no doubt just going by the last couple of games in Europe, the, you know, and even over the, the Christmas period in the, in the league, you know, the players are still playing for him. Um, and, and I do think it is a real shame. But, you know, again, he wants to make that move, you know, with a uncertainty around the Cardiff Blues. And, and you can't really blame the coach for that. No, no, I can completely get that. So with a, with a couple of months, you know, obviously a fair amount of rugby uh, left to be played across the rest of the season. What are your kind of uh, hopes and ambitions? What would what would represent a good season for the Cardiff Blues from here on in? Well, I think, you know, in the league, they, they still they need to get a couple more results. I, I don't see them making the playoffs, if I'm, mm. if I'm totally honest. Um, so I, I think that, that's out of the equation. So really, you're looking at Europe, you know, and, and the Challenge Cup. And again, it's a real shame that, you know, the winners of that don't qualify for the Champions Cup, um, you know, the, which is the top tier competition everyone wants to play in. It's a massive bugbear of mine. I just I just feel like it's, it completely undermines the the Challenge Cup, because if you've got that shiny thing at the end of it, it does keep people's it does keep teams interested. You know, when it, especially when you get to the knockout stages, knowing that it's there is such a big, such a big incentive. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I'm not just saying as a Cardiff Blues fan because we, we're in the quarterfinals or in the later stages. But uh, yeah, I, I do think it's a real shame they they took that position away um, from the team winning that second tier. Um, as you say, I, I think it kind of undermines it. And again, you know, there's it, not been a huge amount of publicity around the Challenge Cup, which again is a real shame. But um, yeah, I think you know if, if Cardiff Blues can you know beat Edinburgh, which I think you know, they certainly can, they then get a home tie against either Poe or Stade Francais which will be, you know, a great occasion down at the the, you know, at the Arms Park. Um, so, yeah, you know, Europe, I think, you know, you, you, we want to go as far as we can in that now. With everything else, I think, is, is that the equation, really? Do you think it's a hard thing to juggle, though? Because, again, there's, although the playoffs might be, you know, might be out of reach, you still want to be looking for that, um, you know, looking for that top three, that top three finish. Uh, to, to guarantee Europe, is it going to be a hard thing to kind of to juggle those, um, yeah, to juggle those those two competitions? Yeah, I, I think so. But you know, as we said earlier on, you know, his number of players now coming back uh, to fitness. Um, you know, so it is a decent sized squad, and I think 
you know, there, there are players there, you know, who have come through the season, players like Owen Lane, you know, who looks a, a, a real star potential there with that, with that player. Um, you know, Seb Davis, as you mentioned earlier, you know, there's a couple of young props coming through. So, you know, I, I'm not saying we, we lie down um, in, in the Pro 14, but, you know, we, we have to keep playing and you know, try and build, you know, confidence and results. But, yeah, I, I think I'd be more weighted towards the, the Challenge Cup if, if, I, if I was in charge, put it that way. And you mentioned a couple of the youngsters there. Obviously, Seb Davis, we've seen a lot of uh, this season. He's been missing the last couple of games. But Owen Lane seems to have really exploded from uh, from the festive games onwards. Just how good do you think he is? Yeah, I think he's a real talent. You know, his, his basic skills are very good. He's good in the tackle. Um, obviously, you know, he, he, I don't think he's a natural winger, if I'm mm. honest. I think you know, he's played a lot of his um, younger career in the centre. I think you know, I think he could easily play in the centre, but obviously out on the wing, it's a bit easier defensively. So I think they're just giving him time to come through. But, yeah, I've been really impressed by him. You know, he comes off his wing, he looks for work. Uh, his kick chase um, is excellent, really, really good in that. Um, and, yeah, you know, he's been, he's really, you know, ignited the fans and, and, and given us, you know, in some situations where it's been, you know, pretty down at times, he, he's, he certainly has lit it up. And then just looking ahead to the Six Nations very, very quickly, how uh, how optimistic or pessimistic are you feeling about Wales's chances going into that championship? I think it's a very tough start. Scotland are going well. I, I do think Wales have got a, a good chance against Scotland. I, I think the front five of Scotland, you know, can be taken on. Um, and after that, you know, if, worst comes to worst, if we lose to Scotland, then we're away to England, away to Ireland. That's 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 a horrible start. It is, isn't it? So it's <laughs> it's a bad thing about being three down after three, but. I, I do, I do fancy that we'll, we'll nick a victory against Scotland, but um, England Ireland is, is is a huge ask. Um, so yeah, I think we'll win the first game, um, but I'm, I'm really really interested to see what uh, what Warren Gatland goes with in his uh, in his selections because uh, I think there's a few things there that they need to sort out. So that'll be very interesting. Anyone in particular that you that you want to see in the Welsh lineup? I, I've been, a, I'm not just saying this again as a character, I've been a big fan of Reese Patchell for a number of years. Um, so, I, you know, the way he's playing, I'd love to think they're going to find a slot somewhere for Reese Patchell. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd like to see him playing. Um, you know, whether they, they put him a fullback, you know, the damn bigger injury, obviously, we need to find out exactly what's happened there and whether Dan is available for, for the first game. So, yeah, and again, this. You know, it's the back row, what combination he goes in there. You know, Josh Navidi went so well in the autumn. You know, does he get the start again, or do they have him as the cover man for on, on the on the bench for the whole back row? So, yeah, if if you know, for one player, I'd like to see in the Welsh team, especially with it. You know, where you seem to want to play, I'd love to see Rhys Patrick giving a go. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd second that motion. And then just yeah, last last of all, um, quick word about the website. So anything, uh, obviously, things that we can expect to see on there, I expect there'll be some, some good Six Nations articles coming up. Yeah, it's a couple of Six Nations Adams coming out, um, you know, with a bit of a, bit of a preview um, at the start um, of, the, of the Six Nations. And then really, as we go through the tournament, how Wales are doing and, and just our own views, uh, you know, on, on the players and, and on how Wales are progressing along the tournament. So, yeah, you know, the, the guys on, on the site are looking forward to Six Nations and... Uh, we're looking forward to sharing our views with, uh, with the, the people out there.
Well, we'll look forward to having a, uh, having a good read of those as the tournament goes on as well, Craig. Thanks very much for joining us and making the, your debut on the attacking scrum. Thanks so much, Jed. Thanks for asking me. Cheers, Craig. Thanks, mate. Last but not least was the Dragons and it was always going to be an uphill task for the Gwent side going into their fixture at home to Bordeaux. They needed results in other fixtures uh, to go their way and ultimately Stade Francais' victory over Edinburgh put pay to the Dragons' European campaign for another season uh, despite an encouraging win over Bordeaux. You could argue that the damage was done though earlier on in the campaign uh, by not picking up a bonus point against NSA and turning down a kickable penalty in the, the crucial tie at home to Newcastle. Uh, there's no denying it's been a tough season for Bernard Jackman's men. I think for all the positivity and the optimistic PR around the region, the results simply hadn't stacked up, which is all the more reason that I think uh, Dragons will take some real belief out of, out of this victory over the, the top 14 side. Where they've been ravaged by injury in a, a threadbare squad for most of the season, the Dragons showed that they can put together good performances and results uh, like this. And I think further cause for cheer awaits with the return of Ollie Griffiths, Tyler Morgan, uh, Lewis Evans, who's obviously a, a club stalwart down there. Likewise, Zane Kirshner and, and Harry Keddy, you know, an under-20s back row international, uh, are not far off returning, and that will that will no doubt help. So while it's been a bruising couple of months for Dragons fans, there's definitely reasons to be cheerful kind of going into into next season. We'll know about the high-profile signings like Ross Moriarty and Richard Hibbard, some of the promising recruits like Rodri Williams and Jordan Williams. These kind of signings will definitely buoy spirits, but I actually think it's been the emergence of the talents such as Aaron Wainwright that will back up Jackman's approach of giving everyone a chance. The, uh, the back row forward has looked every bit a regional player since coming into the side. So while there's a long way to go until next season, the young squad has the potential to lay the foundations of everything that Jackman and, and the chairman, David Buttress, are, are looking to build at Rodney Parade. So that's it for this week. Next week, we'll see a return to the usual format and we'll be previewing the Six Nations, which is edging ever closer. If you've enjoyed it, please write us a review on iTunes or get in touch with us on Twitter at Attacking Scrum. You can do the same on Facebook by liking our page. You can also search out for our group on Facebook, which if you search for Welsh Rugby Fans, you'll find us. Uh, So make sure you get involved with that. Uh, We do a bit of Instagramming from time to time as well. And finally, yeah, thanks for our sponsors, um, as always. So that's socoffeetrades.co.uk. Make sure you head over there to get yourself stocked up ahead of the Six Nations and ahead of next week's uh, preview edition. So we shall speak to you then. Podcast Network.